Janet Yellen takes in the sights of the lovely Teton Mountains in scenic Wyoming and delivers a speech about the labor markets. This is Wall Street Journal's Money Beat Week podcast. I am Paul Vigna, sitting in the big seats for Stephen Grosser, who is still on vacation, joined by Eric Holm and Stephen Russolillo. And we are talking the Fed. We are talking markets. We are talking expectations. And we'll talk about them right after this. I'm Lex Friedman. I run my own business, so I know from experience, hiring new employees can be tough. Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 50-plus job sites, including Craigslist, LinkedIn, and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 200,000 businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. Welcome back. We are here in the studio on this lovely Friday afternoon in August in New York City. And the big news today was not New York City. It was out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Fed Chair Janet Yellen delivered a highly, highly anticipated speech on the labor markets and Fed policy. And I want to go right to Stephen Russolillo to explain to us what we got. Steve, what did we get? So, Paul, you're right. It was really, really highly anticipated. And it was about as noncommittal... As you could possibly get. I mean, she caveated yeah. every single remark that she had. She talks about if the economy keeps improving and the labor market keeps getting better, the Fed could theoretically start raising interest rates sooner than, than, than right. previously expected. But if the economy doesn't keep improving, then the Fed is going to keep its current policies in place for, for a, a, quite a long time. So every single remark that she had, she had a, a counter remark to it. She used the uh, word however eight, eight times. times. Yeah. Eight, eight times, times we eight counted. Times. We counted. Yep. And there were other – actually, Dan Greenhouse at BTIG counted, so give him credit for That's that one. That's uh, But uh, there were other – there were so many other qualifiers, you know, right. but, if, whatever. Well, um, and so, it, 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 I mean, it was just astonishing because you're reading through this and it, it, it is quite interesting if you are a – an economic wonk. wonk, yeah. If you really want to get knee deep in the weeds of right. labor if you markets, you like the, and the Fed tea leaves and all that stuff, right? But in terms of like a big, you know, fireworks market reaction, yeah. Yeah. you got the exact opposite. Yeah, it was it was amazing. You saw the headlines coming out at ten o'clock, and you could literally look at them and say, "Okay, well, that's dovish. Well, that's hawkish. That's dovish." That's, <laughs> it was almost like one after the other, right. dovish, hawkish, exactly. dovish, you know, blah blah blah. Um, and you know, Eric, you, you look at the markets and. They, after betting big all week, right? They really have had very, a very tepid response. Yeah, which is atypical. Yeah, for these response, the market response to the the Jackson Hole uh, proceedings, right? Steve, you were writing about that this morning. Before yeah, so uh, Alan Ruskin over at Deutsche Bank did a great piece uh, Thursday evening, looking at how the market has reacted before and after previous Jackson Hole events, and over the past decade. 
Afterward, you've seen a huge rally in the markets. Now, for the week after, so this right? is the that week after. So, right. if you're thinking now this year, it would be next year's results. That, that that's next what week. He, next week. I'm sorry, next, next week's, week's results. Right, right. So that's what he looked at over the past ten years. And you have to think back to you know these Jackson Hole events. I mean, Ben Bernanke used them uh, when he was Fed chairman as sort of he, he laid the groundwork for what ultimately was QE one, then QE two, yes. and QE three. And so this was the the the, the venue that he really that that. that that he, had he picked to be that yeah. exactly, right. exactly. So that's why you saw such bullish responses. Now, what is interesting is that the week leading up to those events was typically not a good week for the markets. the The S and P five hundred was down in eight of the previous nine uh, years, it, or I should say, the weeks leading up to. Uh, to Jackson, to Hole. Jackson right. Hole. So you saw a little bit of a sell-off going into the event, then the event happened, and then a big rally. Fast forward to this year, you've seen the opposite. The S&P 500 was up all four days this, this week leading up to Friday. Big rally leading up to this event. Yeah. A lot of people were worried that, you know, was this going to be a buy-the-rumor, sell-the-news type of thing where you sort of – the opposite would play out from what happened over the past decade. And so you're seeing a little bit of that on Friday. So big rally leading into the event. The event takes place. And then on Friday – Stock market is basically flat. Yeah. I mean, as we get into the afternoon here, you know, it's inter- it's interesting because before this week and the, the tail end of last week, the markets were looking very jittery, very nervous, a lot of buying and selling. Well, there was always a lot of buying and selling, but I mean, like, you know, it was going <laughs> there was, down wait, wait, more there than was usual. Both buying and there selling? was both buying and selling wow. in the market. I know, I know, it's unusual. <laughs> and then you started to see the tide turn, and you know, I, I saw analyst notes talking about this. Uh, Reuters came out with a really strong article about the direction Yellen was going to take, which I assume they talked to all their best sources and came up with it. And you could see in the market they said, OK, Yellen's going to go dovish. This is the bet. And that's why I think you had that that rally this week. She didn't really – she really kind of, you know, she, she – what did they say, minded or minded or knitting? You know, like she kind of kept to what she has always done. Yeah, that was actually – given that the expectations were that – she that markets were going up so much because they expected her to be so dovish. She wasn't actually that dovish, right? No, but the market didn't really tank either. Right? No. Right? Exactly. It's, I don't think you could label it dovish or hawkish either. It was sort of right in sure. the middle. Um, what you would want from a Fed chair was that's pragmatic. True. Yeah, very pragmatic. You're right. Yeah. You're she right. artfully said nothing. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Although there was some, inter- I, I like the inflation discussion about how looking at inflation these days, there's not as many. Uh, you, you can't rely on that to to tell you about the labor market the way you could in right. the past. I thought that well, was interesting. But. And you know, I on that on that point, I thought what I thought was interesting is that what I got out of out of her speech and what I've gotten out of a lot of what the Fed has said is we we have these headline numbers that come out that everybody looks at the unemployment rate, the jobs created every month, inflation, all these things, but they are not as reliable as the, as they have been in the past in explaining what's going on. And that is causing problems for the Fed. And I, I thought I, I got that out of her speech, and I thought that was very interesting. And I it, it complicates the job that the Fed has to do because it's one thing to say we're economists, we're trained, we understand these models, we understand the numbers, we know what they mean. But it, what you're what they're essentially saying, and I don't think it's it's uh, an indictment of them. I think it's just honest. Is that to an extent they're flying blind, and they're really going to have to just kind of make a best guess on what is the right time to raise rates make a best guess on how 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 fast what's the pace how many this you know it, it it's going to be a much harder job and you know they're they're turning around a 6 year policy swing 
of unbelievably historic easy money. This is not going to be is not going to be easy money. Turning around easy money is not going to be an easy task. Well, to, to piggyback off that, Paul, it's a great point because in her speech, John Yellett said word for word, quote, there is no simple recipe recipe for appropriate policy in this context. And so exactly. So there you go. And I guess the, the, the thought see, now I can see you. I just moved the <laughs> clock on the, nice, on the thing. Nice. I couldn't see Steve. So now, <laughs> so and, and I guess to get to your point, Paul. I mean, you look at the unemployment rate fall. It fell from what seven point three percent a year ago this time to now about right. six point two percent. I mean, it's, it's just been a huge drop in the unemployment rate. But that doesn't necessarily indicate that things are so no, good in the and labor it, market. And it it see, met their targets sooner right, than right. sooner than expected, and everyone started saying, "Oh, the Fed, look what's happening with the unemployment rate." Now they're going to have to turn. But, but then you have the labor force participation rate, where it's still at you know a, a right. near a and thirty. Other measures, of employment. other measures right. of employment, yeah. other measures, wage of the, growth is still uh, not, right. Other not measures, measures yeah. of the health of the which jobs Which Yellen market. has been talking about for a while now. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. She has yeah, been. Yeah. Which is interesting because, of course, the Fed is made up of sophisticated people. They've always looked at these things. It just seems like they're talking about it more than they used to because they're leading up to this big decision. They're trying to telegraph and make right. clear their thinking. I guess. Right. And I, I have to say though. I think you have to give the Fed a lot of credit right now for how it's navigated pulling back on QE. And in terms of – I agree. I agree. When you're – we were sitting in this exact studio right. a year ago talking about – you know, you had the taper tantrum and you had all these concerns about what's going to happen when the Fed starts pulling back on – uh, on all of its stimulus and all of its easy money policies and what sort of disruptions is it going to cause in the markets. And, and sure, it hasn't been a really – it's been far from smooth sailing. There have been things that have happened along the way. But by and large, though, I think if you're a Fed official right now, you're looking out at the at the market as a whole. You feel pretty confident right now. You feel pretty good right. about what's happened. Now, they still have a long way to go in this whole process. But to this point, though, I mean, I, I think that there has to be some after, kudos given. After I think what has to be described as an initial misstep last spring right. when Bernanke started to talk about it, you, you're right. They've absolutely – they've telegraphed what they're going to do. They've been very judicious about it, very step-by-step step about it. And yeah, the market has not been upended. The economy has not been upended. I don't think either – my problems with those things. Yeah, but uh, – <laughs> But no, I think I, th- I think you're absolutely because right. also if you look at QE one and QE two, how those programs ultimately came about and and how they concluded them. I mean, they were hard, they they right. halted them at these hard fast times, and then like you saw big market disruptions now, right afterward. And it's been they've clearly learned lessons from what happened with those programs. The, the, the and caveat to that is going to the caveat. Excuse me, the caveat <laughs> to that is going to be. Uh, they telegraphed those programs very well, too, and people knew exactly what was going to happen, exactly what was coming, and the market still tanked after both of them. So, yeah, they've done well so far explaining what's going on with QE3, but l- let's wait until we actually see it over to you know gauge what the market is really going to when do. When should the Fed raise rates? Oh, criminy. Eric, what do you think? Oh, <laughs> I want to know what you think. Um... And the reason I say that is that you are more pessimistic than most people about where we are as yes. in the economy now, but also you were never a fan of the Fed's accommodative, easy money policies. You're right. You are absolutely right. Uh, do I have to go first? You're the only opinion that matters. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I ask the question, first. when will they or first. when should they? 
Well, we could ask both of them. The question was, when will they? Right. But but I, I like that question too. When I should think, they? Well, they go together. I mean, they go together. I think, look, I, I've, I've said this on this podcast before and I believe this. The Fed is not raising rates because the Fed is afraid of the real strength of the economy. And, or lack thereof. Well, exactly. Right. Lack thereof. So if that's your is point- Is your stance is what I was clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't think they should raise rates sooner because I don't think the economy is actually strong. And I think when they raise rates, you are going to see the economy turn around. I, I think that they're doing the right thing. That said- I think they're doing the right thing within the the realm of options they have. I don't think they have many options. The economy is going; it's just going to be weak one way or another until you know you really, really uh, just burn off all the pain of the the crisis. Which I'm telling you, they themselves know that it is going to be roughly about ten years until this thing is really in our rearview mirror. I think they're going to keep rates low for maybe uh, you know. Another two years before they say, actually when you start say low, where they are. Oh, meaning not raise them for another I would, two years. I would not be surprised if if they didn't. Maybe they did. You know, a nominal rate raise just to kind of let people know that they're on the the stick. You know, but I mean, they. I think over the next two years they might do just a couple. And now I'm just saying that off the top of my head. You just asked me. I haven't yeah, really yeah, been thinking yeah. about it. But the the real point is I think the economy is weaker than everyone suspects. I think the Fed knows that and I think that is why the Fed is moving so slow. And I think they're going to move slower than people are expecting right now. So all these people saying rate hikes are going to come sooner and rate hikes should come sooner because these numbers are coming down and blah. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think later. I think that the way Janet Yellen operates and, you know, this – this speech may be a little bit of an outlier because she was she's always been, historically been dovish, very, very dovish. Mm-hmm. And this speech, you can't characterize it as dovish, as, as we said earlier. It doesn't mean that she's changing her stance, but it, it, I did find it a little bit surprising. But that said, though, she's in no rush to do anything. And I don't yeah. think she should be in a rush. And so no. the people saying that, you know, you have people like Bullard coming out. He said uh, James Bullard, he's the uh, the St. Louis Fed president. Um, he said it should be first first quarter of 2015. Right. Uh, Klosser, Klosser, very hawk. He's Philly fed. He's very hawkish. End of this year, yeah. I think. Uh, you know, Fisher, Richard Fisher, Dallas. He wants it, you know, right today. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to be in no rush to do it. No. What's the incentive? Not happen. What's the incentive? And I think they, to... in their heart of hearts, they know that. Yeah. It almost, it almost gives them cover to kind of say whatever they want. And I don't mean that they're speaking irresponsibly. I think they're just saying – this is the way it should be. And that's fine to say this is the way it should be. They know that it's not the way it is. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say this is like the standard line. But, you know, middle of 2015, probably toward the, the second half as opposed to yeah. first half. And look, uh, J- Japan's economy is very questionable right now. China's economy, very questionable. Europe is looking horrendous. The, even, what, what happens even Germany in, is uh, exactly even yeah. what happens in those countries matters to what happens here. And if they are all slowing down, there's there's just no way that you can avoid all of them. So, you know, I don't I'm sorry. I don't see this economy taking off. We'll be lucky to maintain two percent GDP growth on you know through the rest of this year and through 2015. They might have even more room to not do things than people think. But you still have the Dow 
above 17,000 right now. Yes. The S&P 500 hitting another record high Thursday and is approaching that. Is that, that the 28th record <laughs> oh, high? God, are we going to get in this? 27th <laughs> Something like that. Something One of like those. That. One of those, yeah. And uh, we're approaching 2,000. But, uh, but more importantly, approaching yeah. 2,000. So that's another, you know, key level, whatever you want to call it. But big psychological thing. Yeah. yeah, big round number. Uh, you know, it's interesting, and, and I want to get both your takes on this, gentlemen. Yes, you have these huge numbers, respectively, within the market, right? 17,000 Dow, big number. 2,000 S&P, big number. Um, do you really have any kind of enthusiasm in the market, though, for these numbers? Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. The, and and, we why? Ran, and the, we, I guess the more interesting question then is, why? But we ran a, a, a post on Moneybeat this week. The, it was we were setting a survey. Yes, I was the, just throwing you that great. <laughs> survey said the headline was survey says most Americans have no idea how well the stock market is doing. Right, and it's just it's, in that they ask people just the simple question of how much did the market go up last year, and less most, than only seven percent said thirty percent, thirty percent, which is what the S P rallied. Uh, I think a quarter of them, or I forget. If you add up the people who said it went up 20% and the people who said it went up 30%, you got to 25% of the respondents. And these were not random people. They stopped in front of the the Safeway, you know, down the street. They, not that there's a Safeway down the street, but they stopped. They were polling investors, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah. People, I think the criteria was they needed to have, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but at least 10,000 in there in some sort of either. Mutual fund or retirement account or, or something. So right, th- which does filter out some people who aren't paying yeah. attention. And it's, this was a, a Gallup survey, right? So, right, right. Yeah. So if if most people don't know that the market has gone up so much, is the market overheated? I mean, I would say no. I mean, it, it certainly seems a lot different than '99. And Paul, you could allude to this also. But I mean. From everything that I've read in '99, you had people from taxi cab drivers to barbers to barbers who were all talking about the hot market and get in these dot com stocks and this, that, and the other. It's not like that, Dad. No, this is not this is not the dot com bubble by by any stretch of the imagination. Even if you look at, you know, no matter what metric you want to use, this I'm telling, it's just not dot com because then you had a booming economy. You had a booming economy. The, the internet came around in the early 90s, changed everything. There was a, a huge CapEx explosion as people tried to capture, you know, try to get on board and upgrade equipment and all this stuff. You know, you don't have any of that now. You don't have any of that now. But to me, what that survey says is not that investors are dumb or, you know, not that, but that people just are so fundamentally distrustful of this stock market. Yeah. They are not paying attention. And even a 30% rally is not getting anyone's attention. And that's that's a problem. That's a problem for several reasons. One, because it means most people are parking their money under the mattress. And and yeah. I know long term that hurts you. But, there, you know, look, if you had money in 2000 and you got burned and you had money in 2007 and you got Burned, and you see the Fed with zero percent interest rates for six years pumping three trillion dollars into this economy, and the economy's going nowhere, but the stock market's going somewhere. Are you really dumb for not putting your money in the stock market? We got some great- short-term dumb. You can argue short-term dumb, but I mean, are, are you long-term dumb? Do you, that, is, do you think that's a thought the process, per- though? Uh, yeah, I, it may be not even that complicated, but. Right. I think people just on a gut level do not trust the stock market still six years later and they are not paying attention to the stock market. They think it's gambling. Oh, and it is. 
Well, well, <laughs> look, you know what? I'll tell you what. If you're investing in uh, General Electric, Coca-Cola, a big, big established or blue the chip company that I know fund. that I know doesn't grow as much but has a dividend yield that is good, uh, or if you're in an index fund, you know, um, long term you're probably doing well. If you're investing in one of these, you know, no dividend paying, social media, no profit, hot IPO, hot momentum stock things, you are gambling. And you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Well, probably. Yeah, again, it depends on who you are and what you're looking to get out of it. Right. Do you know what I mean? And what and the amount that you're investing in yeah. it too. Yeah, I mean it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. Are, are you Paul, you, you should about- know at least what you're doing. Wait a minute, we got so wrapped up in this discussion I forgot my money beat daily factoid. Oh, yes. I, I didn't know we were doing that. Okay. Who? Hey, wait, 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 wait. Let's uh the money beat daily factoid. That we're not, that's not a thing. Yeah, no. Don't make <laughs> <laughs> Who was Jackson, and where is his hole? Oh, God. <laughs> no, not like that. <laughs> Come on. Uh, uh, I don't I, know. I don't know who Jackson was, but I do know they call it a hole because it's it's actually in a a, a physical depression, a geographic. You know, the land jumps down; it goes down in a little valley on the other on the east side of the Tetons. He's right. Wow. Well done, <laughs> Mr. Vina. Nice. It was David Jackson who gave his name to the valley when he supposedly sent, spent the winter of 1829 on the shores of Jackson Lake. What was it called? Jackson Lake at the time? Hang on. I'm tr- reading from the Jackson Hole Chamber of well, Commerce. I'm sure it wasn't called here. Jackson Lake back then. Yeah, well, that, uh, it, it's not. I, w- I would edit this. <laughs> for uh, it, it goes on for the mountain men a hole indicated a high valley that was surrounded by mountains yeah so there you go yeah. very Jackson nice yeah. well done uh, we blew I've, right past Jackson nice. I've, I've canoed on that lake oh, oh. I've, I've been out there so the pictures look amazing I've hiked it's, the Tetons I've yeah. done it I've done oh. them not during the Fed thing they don't not get invited I don't get invited <laughs> but uh, I've been out there it's gorgeous oh it's unbelievable yeah. it's what else it's happened this week speaking of uh, hot stocks we had uh, Google and Apple, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, looking yeah. hot. Apple so. uh, back above $100 and setting a record high. Right. A split-adjusted split record, record high. record high. Yeah. Remember, if you remember back in September 2012, the stock went above $700 briefly. Uh, and then it had its huge drop. Drop more than 40% peak to trough uh, from the end of 2012 to about mid-2013 or so. Anyway, they do the stock split uh, this past April. Or they announced it. They announced yeah. it this past April, 7 for 1. Uh, it goes through in June. And it starts trading in the low 90s. And since then, it's just been on a one-way ticket higher. And then this week goes above $100. So if you think back, that's now equivalent to that $700 right. level, level in September right. 2012. Apple can do no wrong right now. Although there were some ports that the iPhone 6 may be delayed. Yeah, what was that? Don't know well, beyond what I just we, said. but Because right, <laughs> right. that, well, that was before we came in here to do yeah, this. So yeah. we don't really uh, – you know, by the time you listen to this, folks, you might have more on it. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, look, people are – you know, I'm, I don't want to say I'm surprised, but I'm a little surprised that people are betting that the Apple 6 is going to be that big of a deal. I think it's a combination of the iPhone 6 and – Or the, the iPhone uh, 6, not the, the Apple The 6. iPhone that 6 a, you know, and yeah. this this smartwatch that they're reportedly developing. And Well, I think it's a – I think a lot of it is the iPhone 6. Yeah. yeah. The bigger the, screen, right? That's yeah. what people are excited screen. about. Yeah. Really is I don't want a bigger screen. I don't want a bigger screen either. Actually, I agree with you on that. Yeah, because like, is it going to fit in your pocket the same way? Pocket? I don't. I see people walking around with those big screen phones. And the the phablets, if you will. The, yeah. Oh no, I can't. <laughs> um, Did you just make that up. No, no, it's no, a thing. he didn't. That's a thing. You know, the the, <laughs> the thing about Apple is throughout all of this, when the stock was up, when the stock was down, whatever, 
they make so much money. It's unbelievable. They it's make insane. so much money. And I know that their their, their reputation, right, their, their or their image has changed. Because at one point they were, you know, especially when Jobs was alive, you know, it was you, they could do no wrong. They were 10,000 light years ahead of the competition. Everything they did was, was gold, was literal pure gold. They don't have that image anymore, but they're still ex- unbelievably profitable. Yeah. I mean, they clear so much money every single quarter. It it is just, it's incredible. And then you look at the valuation metrics; they don't. The stock doesn't trade for all that much, considering what they pull in. Right. We had a post on that as well, right? Right. Or, yeah. Yeah. I'm, they're all blurring together, but uh, I think we pointed out that. Uh, oh, no, wait. That was Google. That was Google. That was yeah. Google. That was the other big another stock company that that prints money. Yeah. 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 But uh, what happened with Google get, this week? They uh, so Google celebrated this week its ten year anniversary right, from when it right, IPO'd. Right, right, yeah. So uh, and God, it was a long week. <laughs> <laughs> it really was, wasn't it? For a week in August, second half of August, dog days. It's supposed to be. We were missing grocer, is what it was. We That's were. what it was. Yeah, but you know, it's fascinating though because you you look at Google and we did the math on this. A ten year or sorry, if you invested ten thousand dollars in Google ten years ago at its IPO, that investment would be worth. $146,000 in change today. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Don't but, you wish you But did you know that? what? Yeah. You know who would be better? Apple, Apple would be much Apple. better. Yeah, that's right. Because if you there did were... the same with Apple, the return was exponentially better. It was over 400000 that that you'd be getting wow. on that investment. So 10000 you know, turned to over 400000 In your post, too, you said there were, there were 10 stocks that did better. And I know everyone thinks... You know, these high-tech rah-rah stocks are the only way to go if you want these crazy outsized gains. But And there were a few tech names. But There were a few tech names. Number one right, was Green name. Mountain. Green Mountain. Coffee. The coffee. Yeah. Isn't that unbelievable? Yes. Now, yes. in 2004, Green Mountain was a dollar stock. It was trading at a dollar and change. Well, and but so, if you bought 10,000 shares. Yeah. You're doing really well. For $10,000. Yeah. You know. <laughs> You're yeah, doing really, really well. Right. Yeah. There was a stat. This is, I was just looking it up and I, I got it here. Uh, CNBC reporter tweeted out a couple of days ago that Apple's market value is worth about six times as much as every NFL, MLB, NBA, and NHL team combined. Wow. So they could buy them all. Yeah. They could buy all the sports leagues. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Right. Even with the uh, higher valuation of the LA Clippers. Now yeah. That, <laughs> Now that Steve Ballmer is the owner. Wait, can we talk about Steve Ballmer for a second? Paul, this is this is, is all he, yours. Is is he just the most glorious maniac you have ever laid eyes on? He is. Just, you know, and we can became, refer uh, people to the Money Beat post on that, where we had the clip of him frothing frothily at the yeah. uh, <laughs> at the LA Clippers fans at this rally this week. It was nuts. Yeah. It was and nuts. and they kept cutting to the. Players, the players on the stage <laughs> who with them? Just, yeah. who had clearly never seen this man in action <laughs> right. before because they were as entranced as anyone, <laughs> or appalled. I'm not sure what, but it was amazing. Yeah. it was so. Oh, if you could pick one person to be the owner of your team, wouldn't he be up there? I mean, just as he'd in, be up there. He, just his enthusiasm For, right. and his and his money. <laughs> yeah, that's who. Those I mean, his money. Someone with uh, with that enthusiasm doesn't have the money usually. Right. People with that money. Right. Right. Exactly. Don't usually, have usually it's a good people, nexus. Usually, the people who are screaming about the sports teams like the way he was <laughs> are sitting next to me in, in row twenty one, section three hundred six, at Giant Stadium. 
They're not usually the multi-billion dollar owner of the team right. who's on stage with a microphone screaming, we're going to be hardcore. <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> like, usually that's the idiots who have been having, you know, have had eight beers deep on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it the Clippers, this is, this is the best that could have happened for them. Oh, yeah, think of where they've gone. I mean, uh, yeah, this the year. whole right. turbulent ride that they've had and where they've ended up yeah. now. If you're a player, if you're a fan, you have to be so happy right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you're were, in any they way were smiling. Yeah. <laughs> they were you're in any way connected to the Clippers right now. You have to be so so happy. Right. right. Or right. any way connected to not being a racist jerk. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> here here here's the here's the question that we're going to go out on. This is the big one. Uh As we are doing this, ECB President Mario Draghi has not spoken yet. He is expected to speak this afternoon at Jackson Hole. Also, uh, this evening, for those of you in the New York area, the New York football giants and the New York Jets will square off in the annual Snoopy Bowl. Uh, Yet they actually do give this ridiculous preseason game a name. So my question to you gentlemen is, which event will produce the highlight clip that gets the catchphrase, Boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Which we're event? going retro viral right we now. Are, we are. Retro viral. Draghi nice. or giant jet preseason game? Which will oh, have the God. greater impact? Both, Which will both produce are going to put you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Droop so, goes the head. Eric, come on. <laughs> Eric, Eric, you got to get it. Well, is Draghi going to sink the market? I don't think so. Well, then you think all the markets will be clear. Well, no, no, the markets will be No, no, U.S. markets will be open. It's 2.30 New York time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I don't think Draghi's going to do it, much. If he comes out with another He's not going to fly all the way to Wyoming to go make news about Europe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If he gives a whatever it takes, another similar whatever it takes like comment, you know, it's possible. But, yeah, but Europe is but, a mess but at right this now. Point, he's he's got to yes. do something. Yes. Europe he does. Is, right. Europe really is in trouble right now. That is. Well, the Giants are about, a mess right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tom Coughlin's got to do something. Uh, Europe is about more than Russia, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's leave it there. So Holm is going with Giant Jets preseason game. We'll produce the Boom Goes the Dynamite clip. And I think Rizalillo is going, going Draghi. Giant. Yeah. No, no. Oh, no, I'm, going, no, no I'm going to go Draghi. I'm going to go Draghi. Draghi. I, I right. think Draghi has to say something. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Draghi, too. But before we go, just a quick in memoriam in, in seriousness. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, had a, a, a guy that he talked to um, a few times, right, um, in in the past, who who was a guy you were kind of fond of. Yes, Jim Mika. He is the creator of the Hindenburg Omen. And uh, very, very sad, tragic news this week. He passed away. He was – so little backstory on, on Jim Mika. He is blind. Um, he was blinded in the mid-'80s, actually, from a science experiment that he was doing where there was a chemical explosion, blew up in his face. It actually wow. – um, uh, destroyed a couple of his fingers, and he ultimately became blind from from the explosion. So uh, he sort of been blind for almost thirty years at this point. Was killed cross uh, on the side of the road. He was hit by a car on on Tuesday. Uh, this was up in Maine near his home. Uh, very sad stuff. He was fifty four years old, um, and so it's it's a sad day in the markets. Um, we have been covering this guy uh, mainly because he's just such a fascinating individual. I mean, he. He was involved in science. He was involved in markets. He created this vision impairment technology that enabled him to become a a target shooter. He would shoot targets that were 
200 yards away and would hit them right on the nose. Yeah, it yeah. was – and to think the guy is blind and was doing this right. was just absolutely fascinating. You, wait, so, and the Hindenburg Omen. did you Omen. mention well, – you didn't even mention the Hindenburg Omen. So, and the creator of the Hindenburg right. Omen, yeah. So, Which is what now? Tell us about that. So that's – it's a stock market indicator. It's supposed to predict a market crash. Uh, it uses all these different metrics that if they all happen at the same time are, so, it, it are supposed to indicate that there's real trouble in the market. Uh, it, it's predicted – uh, through backtesting, it, it, it foreshadowed the 1987 crash. It foreshadowed the 2008 crash, the 2000 crash. Uh, so it had it had a good track record. It also well, it had also a, missed sometimes. It also too, missed right, a lot too. So its its track record was actually dicey. It did predict all the the actual crashes, but it also had very many false right. signals as well. So anyway, uh, very but people tr- loved so. the Hindenburg Home and they loved reading about it. And, I mean, it's and, just, and he was a fun guy to talk he to. He was right? a great, yeah, a great guy, just a, a, a real quirky dude, but a really just really super smart and just fascinating. And he, he loved what he did. He in lo- every aspect of what he did, he, he did a walk for blind Americans, which is a charity down in, in Florida where he walked 130 miles by himself, just him and his guide dog in a trip wow. that took about week and a half or so uh, and was able to do this on his own, raise about $3,000 doing that. So there were so many different elements to this guy's life and what he did throughout his his 54 years. And so it's very, very tragic news to uh, what happened this week. So we were well, fortunate. Um, I feel yeah. fortunate to, to have covered uh, this guy and to have talked to him several times over the past four years. And right. So on that, yeah. Our, yeah. You know, our, our, <clears throat> our thoughts and prayers go out to Jim and his family and, you know, we hope they the best. And it is obviously a very sad yeah. story. Let's leave it on that note. This has been the Wall Street Journal's Money Beat Week podcast. Stephen Russolillo, Eric Holm. I am Paul Vigna. Everybody have a great weekend and we will see you next week.